At This Is The City, we strive to provide the story of downtown Los Angeles for all of our listeners, but we can't do it without you. If you enjoy our work, please consider donating on our website. It's easy to do via PayPal, and it helps us cover the costs of producing the show. You can also help others discover the show by sharing us on social media or leaving us a review in iTunes. Thank you so much for listening. From downtown Los Angeles, this is The City, a podcast focusing on the politics, art, and culture of Los Angeles. I'm your host, Garen Kelsong. This week, we meet artist Annika Connor, who will be at General Assembly DTLA for a creative talk about art, entrepreneurship, and the digital age. I'm an artist, but I also view myself very much as an idea maker. Also, we'll talk with Luke Clip, founder of Greater LA, an organizing arm to battle the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative being proposed for the November ballot. Because the demand is so enormous in areas where we just haven't built the housing for years. First up, Let's meet Luke. Housing has long been a sticking point here in Los Angeles. In the 1960s, battles over parking requirements for new developments raged on as they do now. With construction cranes working in downtown and all over the city, the forces for development versus anti-growth are rising to a fever pitch. To that effect, the Coalition to Preserve LA introduced the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative, which they argue can rein in the reckless development that changes the character of neighborhoods. Our guest, Luke Clip of Greater LA, takes exception to that notion. This is The City. I'm Garen Kelson. Joining me on the line now is Luke Clip, member of the Los Feliz Neighborhood Council and founder of Greater LA. How's it going today, Luke? It's good. How are you doing, Garen? Oh, really fantastic, man. Thank you for asking. And I really wanted to get you on the show to talk about all of the plans that are now coming out around what to do uh, especially with housing in Los Angeles. So can you tell the audience a little bit about what Greater LA is? Sure thing. Uh, Greater LA is actually, at this point, it's really an organizing tool. It's a grassroots coalition of folks who are organizing uh, in opposition to this so-called Neighborhood Integrity Initiative that's currently gathering signatures to be on the ballot here in the city of Los Angeles in November of this year. And what do you think are the the pitfalls of the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative for the for the city? Uh, where do I start? Uh, <laughs> um, there's a number of things. I mean, I, you know, coming from the, my perspective as a member of my neighborhood council, and I think about, you know, the impacts to uh, our neighborhood, and the thing that sort of sticks out the biggest for me um, is that the initiative would lock into place all existing uses permanently. So if you are, let's say you're in a neighborhood like Skid Row, um, where you've got a lot of these warehouses that maybe you don't want anymore, maybe because you need housing and it's an area where, you know, we're, we're learning more and more about how you deal with homelessness and that's particularly uh, a challenge in Skid Row. And we know that, you know, providing transitional and permanent housing are some of the best things we can do to deal with that. Well, this initiative would lock us out ever doing anything other than all of the existing warehouses that are that you know are throughout Skid Row, and, and you know right now they're working on a plan there to to create a whole bunch of new affordable housing. Well, that would be dead. That would have to stop. It would it would stop in its tracks because this initiative would say whatever's there, that's all you can do. Period. You know, and for our neighborhood specifically in Los Feliz. There's a lot of concerns and questions around uh, the small lot ordinance, which is something that, you know, in Silver Lake, Echo Park, Los Feliz, 
some of areas that are zoned for multifamily residential, but largely have bungalows on them and have apartment buildings here and there. Um, small out ordinance getting used more and more. Uh, this initiative is totally silent on small out ordinance. It actually, uh, because it was locked in existing planning zoning uses, uh, anything that's already zoned multifamily residential can't be down zone in the future. So for folks who may be concerned about small lot in the neighborhood and equate that with the kind of development that might be stopped by this initiative, it's actually completely untrue. This initiative would not only not stop future small ordinance conversions, but it actually would make it impossible for some neighborhoods that might be organizing to down zone to single family residential in order to stop small lot from coming into their neighborhood. It would stop them from being able to do that as well. And the proponents of the Neighborhood Integrative Initiative um, are really arguing that the city's kind of willy-nilly ability to grant exemptions in places is only driving luxury housing and developers, uh, you know, painting the picture of developers run amok here. What do you respond to that, that argument? Well, there's a, there's a couple things to think about that. First of all, the city's general plan, there's a few things to unpack. The city's general plan is 70 years old. And we're talking about a plan that was made not by our parents or grandparents, but great-grandparents who were envisioning a Los Angeles back in, you know, post-World War II, in the immediate aftermath. We had just defeated Hitler and FDR had just passed away in office. And that's the plan that we're still using today to determine the uses in our city. And this initiative would lock all of those uses permanently in place. So that's the first thing to think about, you know, when we talk about like overdevelopment or spot zoning and all of these things. Well, what are we really amending? We're amending a plan that's been around for three or four generations. And, you know, we haven't, the city hasn't done, frankly, I think it's been done a very bad job in trying to update the plan, but it also has a process that's incredibly onerous to try and update the overall plan that, frankly, a number of the people who are proponents of the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative have stood in the way of updates to the plan anyway. So, you know, there's, there's some things to unpack there. Um, and can you remind me the, uh, the other portion of your question there, because I want to make sure I address that as well. Yeah. Oh, it's in terms of luxury housing, right? So, you know, I, I think about housing, just sort of what what will what, get built. You know, when you and I go to get a job, when you want to get a job, you're not going to just go to a, you know, unless you are devoted to the cause, it's very unlikely that you're going to leave your current job for a job that's going to pay you less. More likely than not, you're going to want to take a job that's going to pay you more. And that's going to open up the job that you had that paid less for someone else who's going to up to do a job that pays more. I, I think markets generally work this way. And, and right now, we have such a shortage of housing in California and specifically in Los Angeles where our vacancy rate for rental housing is under 3% in the entire region. That's incredibly low. Um, and where home values are skyrocketing. My home, we bought, I'm grateful we were able to, but we bought three years ago in an area where in Los Feliz where we haven't seen a new apartment building go up, um, you know, any of this quote-unquote mega development We've never seen a single one of these quote-unquote mega-developments anywhere within miles of our home ever. And there hasn't been a new apartment building go up in Los Feliz in at least the last decade. And our home has appreciated in value in the last 30 years, 37%. 37% in three years. 
that's not because of some apartment buildings going up that are creating luxury housing or whatever. That's because the demand is so enormous in areas where we just haven't built the housing for years. So what we're left with is, you know, very little supply for an incredibly tight and high amount of demand. And I know demand and supply can, can bother some people to talk in those terms, but we have to be honest about where we are right now and how we got here. If we want to have a really good, smart conversation about how we go from here. And, you know, frankly, I think it, 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 is, it does bother me that so much of the new development that's happening right now really does target the, the higher-end uh, luxury housing. And I think that there are some policy solutions we can consider to, to adjust that. But just stopping all new development or locking in all of the big uses that they are currently, I should say, is not the solution to that. If anything, that's really only an exacerbated problem so many more ways. And with this news of the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative, it's also become apparent that, you know, more and more groups are going to be involved in this discussion and the County Federation of Labor released the announcement about Build Better LA. Do you have any thoughts on this alternate program? Well, I think it's an interesting one. I actually spoke to a couple of the components about it uh, shortly after it they had their big news conference and 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 put the measure the measure out online for for people to look at. Um, you know, I think it does a couple things that are good. Uh, for starters, it says that hey, if you want to get a general plan amendment to do your development, which the neighborhood integrity initiative would bar you from doing altogether, Bill Better LA says okay, you can do that. However, you must use you must use project labor agreement and use and pay you know, living wages for your, for your labor that you're going to use. So from that perspective, I, I am very much supportive of how this, you know, would really put an emphasis on creating meaningful, good-paying jobs. Um, it also establishes some minimum thresholds for uh, very low-income and low-income housing that would be included in any developments that get any kind of uh, general plan amendments and also that are located along transit-oriented communities. So, you know, these are the kinds of thresholds that you see in other cities, and actually the Supreme Court of the United States just deferred back to a decision of the California State Supreme Court, uh, which affirmed the city of San Jose's imposition of uh, inclusionary zoning rules, which we actually used to have in Los Angeles until we lost the court case to Jeff Palmer back in, I think, 2009. Um, and now we can actually reimpose these if we want, because the courts have said it's okay. Um, the other thing is that it actually allows for those percentages to be modified in order to really kind of hit the sweet spot, if you will, of what makes sense given things like lending requirements. Because, frankly, you know, we always think about from a neighborhood perspective, well, it's city and developers, city and developers. But a large number of the developers that are doing this work, they have to rely on lending rules and lending and lenders that have very strict guidelines around how they're going to provide financing for any kind of development, and the harder we make it for them, the harder it is to actually get any real decent housing built. So if we really want affordable housing, we have to figure out what makes sense given what are the restrictions out there uh, for people who are actually doing the building of said affordable housing. And finally, the only thing I'd mention is that this initiative, you know, was, was had been in the works for a few years, from what I understand. And they decided to put it on the ballot um, with, 
you know, sort of partnering on or, or tagging on with what's happening with the Favorite Integrity Initiative, because first of all, they recognize, from what I understand, again, this is not my initiative, but um, they recognize that if the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative passed, that any efforts in the future for what the labor unions and affordable housing advocates have been working on with the Build Better LA, if they were going to go through the city council, would not be possible anymore because the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative would make it virtually impossible to build affordable housing any time in the future. Um, so, And secondly, they included a, a, a provision within this initiative that says that should both pass, any of the language where there's conflict um, between what's in the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative and what's in the Build Better LA Initiative would defer to the Build Better LA language. So they're basically trying to say, yeah, we get what you're trying to do, Neighborhood Integrity Initiative, but we think affordable housing, including affordable housing provision, and making sure that any new development that has any kind of general plan amendments uses, or uses labor that's paying a living wage is more important. Yeah, it's definitely an important distinction to be made there, and I'm sure that we'll be hearing a lot more about these initiatives moving forward and, you know, determining if they actually do make it onto the ballot for, no- oh, for November. I guarantee you they will. There is enough money and support behind both of these initiatives that they will have no problem meeting the threshold to get on the ballot. Well, boom, there it is. So I'm sh- I hope that we can call on you uh, later on this summer to talk more about it, too, Luke. And we definitely invited the representatives from both the Neighborhood Integrity Initiative and the Build Better LA to be with us today. But unfortunately, they were not able to make it. Luke Kalip is a member of the Los Feliz Neighborhood Council and the founder of Greater LA. Thank you uh, so much for joining us. Thank you. Eat Drink Podcast is a great way to get new ideas on what to explore downtown. Check out this quick preview to whet your appetite. Welcome to the Eat Drink Podcast. I'm your host, Garen Kelsa, along with Anthony Bejarano. I'm just ready to get my chopsticks in the zone. And we're here at Peking Tavern, which is your amazing restaurant and bar. That's right. Welcome. Thank you so much. I love this place, by the way. We always call this the $10,000 dumpling. Because uh, we actually won $10,000 on a uh, television show. Guys, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I really feel like I can see you two young guys hanging out in Beijing, getting tore up, and now we're going to do the same thing. Cheers! Monica Connor is a Brooklyn-based artist, publisher, and advocate for the art community. Her recent work, Point Sweet, is a curated collection of contemporary art in that classic coffee table format. Annika joined us from her studio in New York to talk about her upcoming creative talk at General Assembly in downtown L.A. This is The City. I'm Garen Kelson. Joining me on the line now is Annika Connor, an artist, publisher, coming to L.A. soon with the General Assembly to give a talk on art and entrepreneurship. How are you today, Annika? I'm great. Thank you for having me here. Oh, no, definitely happy to have you as a Brooklyn-based artist. I've heard your name around the little art circles that I try to you know dip into here. And as an up-and-coming creative, I know that you're a painter kind of by training. Is that right? That's right. Yes, I, I primarily work in watercolor or oil paint. And tell us how you got to the Point Suite project. I know that's what you're coming on, you know, essentially a book tour to talk about. So tell us what the Point Suite book is and and what it's about, how it kind of came together. Absolutely. So I'm an artist, but I also view myself very much as an idea maker. And sometimes my ideas extend beyond the studio. 
So many years ago, I started exploring this and doing different curatorial projects and putting together exhibitions and shows. And through that, um, I found that working with other artists was fantastic, but there was a lack of opportunities for young artists to have their work seen in a professional context. And um, while I enjoyed putting together exhibitions, it was a little bit temporary and ephemeral. So I had the idea for a book that I wanted to create. And many, many years later, I was able to release, finally, um, Point Sweet, which is a contemporary art book I produced with um, my book partner, Nicholas Papadakis, and he's an artist as well. And we, we published a anthology of what's happening right now in the creative conversations um, among young emerging artists globally. And we featured the work of 34 artists, and I'm, I'm coming to General Assembly next week to introduce this book and then talk to the arts and the entrepreneur communities a little bit about different things I learned through collaborating with publishing, with business, with licensing and reproduction rights to sort of share some of the knowledge to the other generation of idea makers. Absolutely. And I think that's what's such a great mix of energy that you were able to kind of combine and create with this particular effort. Uh, General Assembly, if you know, the audience isn't already aware is a place that is all about introducing people to new skills uh, and, and expanding their skill sets, especially in this emerging, you know, world and, and digital world, but also in the sense that it's at Maker City LA, which is its own creative amalgam of different types of people using co-working and other strategies to to help move the creative thought into the future. So when you're giving the talk, what have you been looking to do um, as far as when you reach the communities, reach other artists? What do you think you've been hearing uh, and what do you think you've been helping with? Well, that's actually part of my main interest on this book tour. So I structured these talks at General Assembly as a creative conversation tour, and I'm actually traveling around from different cities. General Assembly has um, these centers for entrepreneurship all over the country and actually globally as well. And so far I've spoken in New York and Atlanta. I'm coming to LA on March 14th and um, I'm speaking, they have two spaces in LA, one in Santa Monica and one in downtown. So I'm speaking at the downtown location, which is at 1933 South Broadway um, at 6.30. And, um, my hope is that by going to these different general assemblies, I can hear the thoughts of the audiences from town to town. So I've structured the night to introduce the book, certainly, and to highlight some of the amazing artists that we feature in the book. But really, that's just the first 15 minutes of the conversation. From there, we're going to have a fireside chat with the audience, exploring their thoughts about how art and business can work together to reach new audiences. We're going to, I'm going to be doing a little bit of a Q and a explaining some tools that I found to be really helpful that maybe different people aren't aware of. 
And then also hearing the concerns of the local arts communities. I'm really particularly excited to come to the West Coast because I'll be speaking in L.A. on March 14th and then in San Francisco on March 16th. So I'm really curious to hear how the different cities view what's happening on the West Coast art scene and sort of learning from my audience as well. And being that you're based in New York, how has it been to kind of not only travel, but to see what's happening in Los Angeles and and dig into our uh, emerging and burgeoning art culture that's happening in a lot of ways here in downtown? Yeah, well, I think the um, the L.A. art scene and is is really particularly oh I don't know maybe one that I envy as a New Yorker, we just don't have the same access to space that you do. So one of the main differences I've seen within um, the painting community is just the studios are so much larger. The ability to create large oil paintings is um, so much simpler. Um, I see that expanding out onto the walls of the city. And uh, I see a lot of incredible street art in California that I'm so impressed by. Murals and large expansion. I see that coming to New York a little bit, but I really think the origins were born in, in L.A. Um, there's certainly a, a rich history of street art everywhere, but um, what we see happening in Brooklyn now and Bushwick and um, with these artists, it's definitely a dialogue inspired by you know, the street art of California for sure, too. Well, we certainly hope that you enjoy your time with us and up in the Bay Area, but, you know, really in downtown, like I said, uh, it's a special time and that energy. I, I hope you get to enjoy some of it while you're here. I definitely want to invite your listeners um, to attend the talk. I really want everybody to lend their voice to this conversation and I'm particularly interested to hear from all of the audience if there's any primary concerns or interests they have as arts moving into the digital realm and um, also to hear what artists are thinking about in terms of how art is going to be in the future, how we might link up in this time of political change to use art and activism together in an interesting way. So if anyone has any thoughts on that, please join us on March 14th at General Assembly. The talk is free, so um, we, we do hope that you can be there. And the night is from 6.30 to 8.30, but that's really, the conversation itself will just last an hour. The evening is then structured to have a networking component before and after, so everyone can meet each other and exchange ideas one-on-one as well. That's fantastic. Annika Connor, the Brooklyn-based artist, coming to downtown L.A. to do a creative talk. Thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me. Thank you for joining us this week on This is the City. Join us next time for more of the politics, art, and culture that make Los Angeles. And be sure to check out the other shows in the This is the City network at thisisthecity.net. This is the City is written and produced by me, Garen Kelsall, and my partner, Jonas Osnowski. Our theme music is by Taj Simmons. You can find us on iTunes and Stitcher. We're on Twitter at This is the City LA or on Facebook at Facebook.com slash This is the City. Send us a message or leave a comment. Let us know what you think and what you want to hear on upcoming episodes. Until next time, be well.